0: Greetings, fellow imps. I'm imp fossil Tom Hensky, and I'd like to welcome you to From Nowhere to Now Here, where incarnate memories prevail. Like many incoming first years, I entered the university a blank canvas. You get it, nowhere. But four years later, I grew to Now Here. And when I look back at that transformation, it was the friendships that I built through the Imps that were a huge part of that growth. But where did everyone end up? I'm going to take us on a journey to find them, to catch up with the friends we've lost touch with. And in doing so, my mission is to rekindle these amazing relationships. welcome back imp nation yes it's been a while you're probably wondering if your loyal podcast host of the imp nowhere to now here incarnate memories prevail fell off the face of the planet i didn't just life got in the way and there were a ton of things going on but i'm bringing back strong here because i've got with me william chichester And I think you graduated in 2005-ish. Am I right about that? That's right. Awesome, so bring it on. How are things? Welcome to our podcast.
1: No, I'm excited to be here. Uh, You all cannot see me, but I found my horns deep in a closet, so um, I'm so glad my wife didn't throw them out thinking it's a Halloween costume, so here we are.
0: Yeah, you are so hard representing like (laughs) the the good orange and blue. He, you can't see this, folks, but he's got on uh, a Virginia basketball, I think, national champs sweatshirt, and then he's got the red horns going on. But, oh, my God, I love it. Cool. So, hey, let's take it back from the beginning. Uh, you graduate high school. Where did you go to high school?
1: Yep. Well, I grew up in a town or this uh, county called Fauquier uh, high school. So whoa, far whoa,
0: don't here. curse. Don't curse. What on <laughs> podcast. What's up with the put cursing already? Got it. I'm going to have to edit that out. Oh, you didn't say the F word. That's the name of the high school. All right, bring it on. Hey,
1: Yeah. So I grew up on a farm in a very rural County in, uh, right outside of the Northern Virginia area. So, so I went to school,
0: you know, I got to tell you something. So I cyber stalked you a little before this m- interview, so I understand that there must have only been four or five people in your high school because you graduated rank number four. Is that right? Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's giving me the modest laugh because he knows he was smart. He's one of the few imps that got in to UVA because, they, because of his actual brain, because clearly none of the rest of us had that going on. Okay. So you're, you're graduating high school and you're looking at colleges and where was UVA on the radar?
1: Yeah, it's so funny. So to back up a little bit, I grew up really poor. So a lot of people think of poverty and they think urban poverty. Like I grew up on a farm. So like rural poverty in Fauquier County, which is like known for horses. So like if you're big into equestrian, anything, you probably have heard of my town or my county. So for me, college wasn't even on my radar. Um, I was just trying to get a job, Right. So um, basically, I used to work at this store called Sheets. If you know Wawa, there is. Uh, Sheets.
0: I know Sheets well. Okay, all right. All right. <laughs> when I was a wealth manager, the Sheets family was my client. So they Oh my right, god! Okay, right, wow. Right in Altoona.
1: Altoona. There, there you there go. Empire. Speaking of tuna, so there you go. So on, and this is important for this story with UVA. So. This Sheets had just opened in between 29, which is going towards Charlottesville, and then 17, which is going to 95. So for anyone living in the Northeast, when you're driving down to Charlottesville, you typically have to pass the Sheets before you get to, to UVA. So I would see all sorts of UVA alumni who would come into the store. I would clean up after them, wait on them, the whole thing. And honestly, that was kind of the inspiration for UVA. Uh, But college was more so, I would say, sixth grade is when one of my teachers just identified me in this gifted and talented program. And here we are. Was blessed to win a lot of scholarship money and then went to UVA. So very happy to say that.
0: All right. So our crew is going to be thinking this. So I'm just going to ask, was this like legit? Farm like you're going in the backyard and milking the cow farm or like how, how yeah I mean hey,
1: we're talking all right so we didn't have money for all of that so we had chickens like chickens rabbits I mean we had a lot of dogs but yeah man I grew up with 15 people in the house it was only like a thousand square feet like I could show you a picture of the house I grew up in you would never think that's where I came from but that's where I started but here we are look at me now got a little spiral staircase.
0: God is good, <laughs> man. Like, I'm telling you, you get again. Our listeners can't see it, but you know, either you have the most kick-ass fake background, okay, or, or your pad is legit. I like that with the spiral staircase. That's awesome. Thank you. So, hey, all right. So then, it, was it UVA or UVA or UVA where you're trying? I mean, it was UVA. Yeah, I mean, it's a top school in the
1: state. Like, where else would you go? I couldn't go to the other school, so.
0: Okay, cool. So you, you wind up going to UVA. Anyone else in your school go your year?
1: Most, believe it or not, my town, Virginia Tech was the biggest school that everyone wanted to go to, shockingly. Uh, Now, after me, there were much more UVA folks that came, but Virginia Tech had the, the biggest hold on my school.
0: Okay. And did you know uh, what you wanted to major in coming in, or were you just kind yes. of like, I have no idea?
1: So my my um, high school teacher, he taught geopolitics. And so he was the guy that got me inspired into all things foreign affairs. So when I got to UVA, i never forget it. I, I lived in Bonnie Castle. So castle, I, the Castle. Yeah. Oh,
0: you live there? No, my son did. He's a, now oh. a third year. And my story, which- I don't know if I've ever told on this podcast when he got into. I was in the new dorms.
1: Oh, okay, good when, for you.
0: When we heard that he got into Bonnie Castle, I secretly told my wife, "I'm like, just so you know, that sucks." She goes, "Why?" I go, "It's the old dorms. The old dorms suck." She goes, "Where is it?" I don't. I go, "I don't even know." And I went and looked at the map, and I looked at the map, and I'm like, "Wow, this is pretty convenient to everything because it's the closest dorm to everything, right?" pretty much and then i if someone corrected me that no longer is the, uh, are the old dorms old they're like the new old dorms they've got air conditioning and everything so yeah.
1: so uh, i was fortunate um my my uh roommate had asthma and we had an ac that we had to put in the window so i was one of the few in old dorms who had an ac but thanks to my roommate steven lambert so <laughs>
0: Now, did he, is this the type of thing like he really had asthma or he had a, an- It didn't matter. It I had
1: air conditioning. But here, <laughs> here's the kick, though. Here's the kick. So underneath Bonnie Castle is the castle at that time. That's where the Gus burgers and all those things are made. So as we're getting air conditioning, we're getting all of the smoke from the fries and the burgers into my clothing. So every day I smell like McDonald's or whatever going to class.
0: <laughs> no, it- and it probably didn't matter either if he really had asthma or not. I think there's a carve out for the honor code <laughs> on the, on an air conditioning carve out. We'll have to ask Mike and Macy Lennox to kind of opine on that next time I talk to them. But I think you were good. So no one's gonna come back and take your diploma away. I think okay. you're <laughs> but, but no, but
1: but the one but what happened? Store. did you
0: become besties with this roommate or what what was your Yeah?
1: Point? Um so we' I would say we were good friends uh, for a little bit. We haven't connected in a while, so I need to look them up and just say hello. It's been a minute.
0: Cool. And then, uh, so you're in there. Take me through some of your first-year follies. Any good stories oh for me? <sighs>
1: Let's see. Well, you got to keep it. So it's important to keep certain things about me in reference. So, like, I, like, my town was so small. UVA was the biggest thing I'd ever been a part of. So I felt like I was coming into a city. Now, everyone knows in this call that Charlottesville is not a city, but for me, it was a city. Like, I mean, it were so many people. Um, so my first year, I was still, I was involved in a lot of different things, uh, but I studied Arabic, Arabic Middle East studies so that I declared my major a couple of weeks before September 11th happened. So what's crazy saying this now is that as we're talking, Israel is invading Gaza Strip, right? Like, and everything is happening over there. It's just crazy. Like, we're 20-some years after that, and we're still talking about this region. So anyway, um, that is what I majored in. And then in terms of first-year follies, I mean, my first year was shaped by September 11th. So it was, the climate was so interesting. Like, everyone was anti-Muslim. or oh, There was this big anti-Muslim campaign like I was friends with a lot of students who were Arab or Middle Eastern. I was in like the Persian Cultural Society, like all sorts of other organizations, even though I was Christian, I was friends with my folks in Hillel and other things. So I what was interesting for me at that time, it's kind of similar to probably how kids are now or students are now in college, of just having friends on both sides of the issue. And like how do you fit into all of that? And so I was a part of things like sustained dialogue. How do you bring different groups together who are different? And that pretty much shaped my four years. So um, September so 11th was a big deal. I, and again, I had fun and all that, but it really did change the climate of the school for that time.
0: That's crazy to think about, right? It's And what's crazy to really think about is the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? There you go. And it's, we had... Um, Over the weekend, Ross Wiener uh, alum, he basically hosts uh, like a kind of imp get-together, and Robbie Grossman was on, who's living in Jerusalem, and he was just giving us an update on what's going on over there. It's really scary, right? And now... You know, some of the rhetoric at the university has not been as friendly and collegial as it should be. And I know everyone's for free speech, but then there's like this thing called hatred. And so, you know, at some point you got to balance it out. And I guess that's what you were going. So, so what was it yeah. like during that time?
1: Yeah, I mean, you you're everything that's happening now, with the exception of you gotta keep in mind everything was about Iraq, but there was so let me take a giant step back. So William Quant was my major advisor. So if you know anything about foreign affairs at UVA, he is like the guy who brokered or helped broker the peace between Egypt and Israel. Like he was involved in Yom Kippur, like all sorts of things. He was my major advisor. So in terms of the climate of the school, um, no one was really interested in Arabic. Everything was Russian or Chinese or Spanish and French. So the idea of people studying Arabic was like weird. Like, why is William studying Arabic? Then September 11th happens. Everyone's interested in Arabic. Everyone's interested in Urdu and other Middle Eastern languages. Uh, but the difference between me and maybe some of my other peers was like I wasn't trying to do it from an intelligence lens. For me, it was always just appreciating and understanding history. How do you, again? How do you just bring different people together? Because you know, I'm African-American, but for me, it was like um, it was always about like you can understand things today if you think about what happened in the past. And and that was a big part of like what I tried to do. So for me, it was like, you know, spending time with like my Persian friends and understanding from their lens, like their food, their culture and all of that. And then like, hey, like just we're all similar. It's just that. You have some bad actors, but we're all the same, right? Like at the end of the day, we are all human. Uh, But there are also people, to your point, that were hateful. Uh, Folks, some of my friends who were on the Arab side of things had to leave school. You know, it it was just an interesting time. That shaped my first two years. And then, of course, after things happened in Iraq, everything was like, you know, where are the weapons of mass destruction? So you had that. That was kind of happening at the meta sphere, if you will. And then it was um, the Daisy Lundy incident that happened my second year. So if you know anything about UVA history, that was a time when there was a racial attack at UVA. So it was a lot of racial issues, I would say, but um, I was blessed that I didn't have any of that impact me or some of my more immediate friends.
0: I like how you Stayed in the middle, and part of me is thinking, Wow, what an appreciation you get of both sides. The other part of me says, Wow, that's hard to have an opinion, either way, strong opinion, because you tend to alienate a group. And the dumbass side of me says, Wow, your rap with the women must have been awesome <laughs> because they must have <laughs> talked to you and said, This guy is so educated in current events. Little did they know you were learning about it all day, every day in class, right? Right? I didn't know what you were. I mean, probably the. I don't know. You're probably like one of the most interesting people on grounds to talk to, right? Because, like, gosh, (laughs) I don't
1: know about that. There, there could have been others, but (laughs)
0: yeah, no. I mean, I think that's pretty cool. That's really cool. That's awesome. Cool. And so now, yeah, it's like the more things change, the more they stay the same, and we're kind of like reliving this, right? And it'd be uh, like we're right back where we left off, you know. Tell me about like when that racial attack hit. And again, it's like the more things change, the more they say the same. And we always have this unbelievable like memory of our college like a, like a nothing wrong best ever. Right. Mm-hmm. Especially the imps, because we had this crazy, amazing, diverse experience. Right. Like I would tell you, probably the imps might be one of the more diverse groups. Uh, on grounds, I would think, you know, someone might correct me, but it's weird.
1: I, I I mean, again, I don't know enough about the other ones because I'm not members, but yeah, I would agree with you. And that honestly, if I were to tell you some of the names of the people that were in my crew of people that came in with me. Yeah, I mean, it was the most diverse thing I'd ever seen at UVA. Like I've been a part of other different organizations I was in res life. I did a couple of other things at school, but that was the most diverse group that I was a part of. And I didn't even get into it until my fourth year. <laughs>
0: so, so tell me, how do you separate a few bad actors that yeah. everywhere you go, there are a few bad actors mm-hmm. from the overall awesomeness of the university? How do you like reconcile that?
1: Yeah. um How do I reconcile it? It's such an interesting question because um I, I grew up, and if I were to show you, and, and and this is just how I grew up, right? If I were to show you the individuals that changed my life, they none of them look like me. They were white, some were Asian, some were other groups. So because, and I told you, I grew up poor. Cool. Those individuals shaped my entire life. Like I would not be here today if it wasn't for people that didn't look like me that invested in me, et cetera. So I had an appreciation for others that, like, I can't say that others don't, but it made me different in how I saw people because I could have easily, like, demonized, like, I'm a, I hate all white people or I hate all Jews or I hate whatever. Um, I, what's, what's interesting for me is that because there were individuals who broke the stereotype, I couldn't say that. Like, I just, my lived experience was different. And so for me, going to school was like, how do you bring people together? Because the other thing that was talked about a lot when I got to UVA was self-segregation. Like, I'm sure that's a topic that almost always comes up when you talk about college. But that wasn't my story. I deliberately went into communities and groups that were not like mine uh, because I wanted to learn. I grew up in a very provincial lifestyle on a farm. Like, my entire life was like, let me get out of this 1,000 square foot house with these 15 people, and like, let me see the world, let me go travel, let me go experience other cultures. And that shaped even my career to this day of just seeking to understand other people's point of view. And how do you just have empathy for others? Like, that's just a part of who I am, but because of the people that intervened in different nexus moments, I'm a big into Marvel right now. Like the whole What If series is about to come out. And it's all about like these different moments or individuals just shape you. And that is what makes me different. I, I can't really say any more than that.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's an that's awesome answer. And, you know, I- all right, cool. So tell me then, uh, like, what was going on into second year? It sounds I- like you were, were you an RA? I
1: was an RA. Um, let's see. I was... Basically, how I would define all of my extracurricular activities was I was involved in things that help people either improve academically, get a job. So I one of the first things I did was apply to do this career peer education uh, thing at the career services office. Again, that was like this chance coincidence where the director had come to like this African-American event. And she basically was like, hey, we're looking for students who would be interested in volunteering. I was like, sure, why not? Had no idea that that volunteerism <laughs> would change my career. Like, I'm doing what I do now because of that moment of saying yes to that opportunity. So essentially, I work with students on their resumes, cover letters, helping them get a job. As a, a kid who grew up on a farm with none of that, I was the first one in my family to go to college I'm helping other people go somewhere that I've never been, nor anyone in my family has never been. Like, so it was, it's mind boggling to say that now, but like that changed me. But then the biggest thing I would say is my fraternity. So I was pledging my frat my second year. So that consumed pretty much most of my spring. I pledged Kappa Alpha Psi. Um, and so that fraternity pretty much was the bulk of my time that second year. And then I became the president or pole mark my third year.
0: Uh, tell me more about the fraternity. What was that yeah. like? You know, give us the scoop of.
1: Yeah. You know, so social uh, social it's interesting, right? Like um, in black Greek life, um, back in the day, like I was doing. So there were other frats at UBA at the time. So there was Alpha Phi Alpha, Omega Psi Phi, Phi Beta Sigma. Kappa Alpha Psi had died off. And so essentially that summer of my first year, I was volunteering at this nonprofit and I was in this chat room and this is how old I am. There, was, there used to be chat rooms guys back in the day. And so it's so on this, uh, this website called Black Planet, never forget this. Um, there is a guy that's in the, in the DMV chat room and he actually, I clicked on his name and he actually went to UVA. He was a part of the last line of Kappa Alpha Psi. I told him I was interested. How do I get involved? And it changed everything. So basically my, I go in the fall of my second year. I start finding a bunch of guys who I think would be interested in doing this with me. And literally we pledged my second semester of my second year. But it, it was all a chance coincidence in the chat room because I was bored of my internship. And here we are. <laughs> so you might know Malcolm Jones, John Peoples. I'm trying to think of other people you would know, but all of them are a part of my fraternity.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That's a good, good group of peeps. Really good group of peeps. Um, Tell me more about being an RA. What type yeah. of, what was, what was your reputation as the RA? I don't want to hear your version of it. What would, if I had some of the kids who were living in there, well, they're not kids anymore, but when they were, what would they say about you? This is so
1: bad. Ugh. So because because I was pledging, um, I was not as around as I could have been in my spring semester. So in the fall, I was pretty active. I was trying to do events. Keep in mind, I'm at Copley. So I'm not in, you know, uh, fresh or first year dorms. So for me, it was a lot easier because second year, third years, and fourth years, they don't want to do a whole lot of programs. So that worked out nicely for my schedule. Um, And at the time, Copley was right, you know, right across from the law school. So you had a lot of students there um, who either had some affiliation with that or it was a largely black population too that I was over. So what made it interesting for me is that because it was largely black in that dorm, when I was pledging this frat, like people were constantly watching what I was doing. Like I always felt like I was being watched um, and I couldn't really get away with anything. So it was a lot of sneaking around to like, because and again, it's a little bit different than Rugby Road, but you know you can't really just be out in public with what you're doing in a black frat. Like it's all a secret until you come out, right? It's kind of like imp society a little bit, but even more secret.
0: <laughs> That's cool. That's awesome. So, uh, so that like really shaped like a lot of your life and your friends. Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. It was great. Yeah. Um, at the time. It was one of the at, before. Um, In the 90s, and I would say in the 80s, it was the largest Black Greek organization at UVA. Uh, It was the only one that had a house uh, on Rugby Road. Like, I mean, it's just a lot of historical things about the chapter that I was hoping to bring back. It's all about achievement. So for me, it it like stood for a lot of things that I stood for. Um, So, yeah, it was a good time that I had in that organization. (laughs)
0: And was that uh, before you got into the imps or after you got into the imps? That
1: was pre-imp. So this is the crazy thing with imps. So the organ, remember I was at the career services office. There was an event that I was invited to the same, the the group of people that came to that event, many of them ended up either living on the lawn with me. So at that time on the lawn and then my fourth year, uh, we had five African-Americans on the lawn. So four of them were in this one event at Career Services my first year. One of them happens to be my frat brother, Addison Sears Collins. Addison gets tapped first. Addison then gets me in. Then we end up getting a number of other capes in down the road, eventually to get to Malcolm and others that you all may know. Jimmy Larkins, all of those guys.
0: Okay, so what was the joke they played on you?
1: Oh, like they, they <laughs> so Ryan Hargraves and Addison, they were like, let's make this thing like he's pledging again. And so, of course, I had no symbol as to like what the hell imp Society was. I didn't know what it was about outside of them tapping him in the horns and all that stuff. I didn't really know what to expect. So I was like preparing myself like, okay, I guess I'm about to get hazed up. I don't know what the hell's about to go down. But that's literally how they got me that year. But I came in with Dylan Walker. We call them Dylon. So if you remember anything from, oh, God, Dave Chappelle, the skit where they were making fun of, um, oh, P. Diddy. Now, this is going to take us now, current events. He had a show making the band. So Dylon Walker, Dylan Walker, tennis player, he was in my class. And then I had um, Molly Sullivan, and then, oh God, I'm blanking on my Jin silvers, so the four of us came in together um uh, that year. It was I think we came in the fall of two thousand and four.
0: Well, there are a couple names I haven't heard. We' gotta get them on the show, yeah, yeah. we do yeah. Get, we'll get them to say all the bad things about you, right <laughs> so that's cool, so you got in, and what are some of your memories from the imps?
1: Oh God, I have pictures, but this isn't um. They can't see this. The audience can't see it. But yeah, I mean, let's see. Um, I mean, the coronation balls were fun. So we had Inga Inga, Inga Jurgensen and then I had Chris McClellan. I think the two of them were running the Im Society at the time. And I forgot who was getting coordinated, but basically that party was hilarious. Like, we have to dress up as famous payers or and, and so like, I think I was, we were salt and pepper. I forgot who was, who I had to go on a date with. I think we were salt and pepper, but someone was, let's just say some genitalia. Some was like ketchup and mustard. It was hilarious.
0: Were you salt and pepper, the shakers or salt and pepper? Yeah, like
1: you, you had to be a, a kind of a pair, like ketchup, mustard, salt, pepper, all in the rest. Uh, Cause the-
0: I was going to have you do like a little, like sing a little salt and pepper. Cause I imagine you had that down. If you were right, so <laughs> sorry, we'll have to cut that out. I apologize everyone. I just had a 1990s no, flashback. <laughs> okay, cool. So then tell me about your, the end of UVA your last year. And then kind of like, what were you thinking career wise? Did you know what you wanted to do? What happened then?
1: Yeah, so my third year, uh, so up until this point, for the first three years, I went in to think I was going to do the State Department, the CIA, obviously with the language skills and all that. Um, I was in this program that basically was trying to diversify the State Department, the CIA. So it was this organization called the Institute for International Public Policy Fellowship. And so they brought together all these students from all over the country and the goal was to expose you to the State Department to see if you would like it or other agencies within the government. So I started asking questions because again, I'm poor, I don't know. I was like, so how much do you all make? <laughs> like, you know, questions that like, as a recruiter, I would never tell someone to ask now, but you know, do it in a more diplomatic kind of way, right? But they took the question and the answered. And so I think at the time they were making in the 20s or 30s. And, at, and it was like one of those moments where it was like, wait, hold up, like, wait a minute. My mom, we grew up on welfare, right? She makes, and she's in the 40s, right? Like that's how poor we were. So the idea that I'm going through four years of UVA, I'm studying one of the hardest languages in the world, have to go to Georgetown because that was where we were supposed to, we were supposed to go to Georgetown, the School of Foreign Service, that's what we're supposed to do. You can only imagine how much that costs a graduate school. You got to go to Middlebury College and get your Arabic training. That's several hundred, I'm sure thousand. And then you come out making in the 20s or 30s. I was like, this makes no sense. So yeah. I, had a, I had a quarter. I don't even know if it was a quarter yet, but it was kind of like a quarter-life crisis. I'm like, what the hell am I doing? I, if I had known, if I had asked questions earlier, man, and this is one of these life lessons sort of current undergrads in this call, ask these questions up front. Like, hey, like, if you're going to go to law school, if you're going to go to whatever, med school, make sure you understand, like, yeah, like it's great that you're going to do something that you think is going to fill your cup. But like, actually, what are you going to be doing in your first job or the first couple of years? Because the cool stuff I didn't realize you didn't even get to do it as a foreign service officer. You have to get appointed to be an ambassador. And I was like, well, wait, well, how do I become an ambassador? Oh, typically, you got to give a lot of money to a presidential campaign. And then they're hung out like Plum Assignments. So that's not all of them. So I was like, well, wait a minute. So like, so I asked, i never forget, it was one of these retired ambassadors. Her background, she, was in, she had a business background, and she worked for Coca-Cola. The other ambassador I was talking to worked for ExxonMobil. I was like, so wait a minute, like you all, you're the ambassador. One of them was the ambassador for the Dominican Republic. I'll never forget this. She was like, yeah, I don't really know anything about the Dominican Republic. I got this assignment because I was involved in Clinton's presidential campaign. I was like, the fuck? What is happening? So, so again, it was just one of those moments where I was like, wait, wait. And again, I'm, not, I'm just giving you my point of view. That's not exactly how it may be now. But it wasn't enough to be like, OK, let's do a timeout. William, are you sure you want to do this? Um, and so that was what was going through my mind. So my first year, I mean, my fourth year, I don't forget, I go back on ground. So I'm living on the lawn at this point. One of my neighbors is Rebecca Minjins. I don't know if that name ring a bell or not. Um, but she was like, she was an art history major. <laughs> I was like, so what are you doing? She was like, oh, William, I'm going to go to the McKinsey um Oh, God. Info session. You should come. Or Bane. I forget. It was Bane or McKenzie. It's like, what the hell is that? Well, she was she was like, it's a consulting firm. I was like, what is consulting? So <laughs> I didn't know anything. Right. Uh, so even though I'm working in the career services office, it doesn't mean I know anything about these industries. Because again, I was going State Department. Like I never understood any of this stuff. So she was like, well, William, they also have free food. Well, I was like, that. like what do they have? Chicken tenders, whatever. Like, so of course I go. And then that's when I get the bug, like all the comm school kids and the engineering kids are all there. I'm one of the few liberal arts people that don't know what the hell I'm doing, but I'm getting some free chicken tenders. That's all that matters. Then, of course, that's when the bug hits you. Okay, I need to get a job. And so I go through the interview process, and I wind up towards the end of the fall with two offers, one with the Vanguard Group in Philadelphia, and then the other one was with IBM Consulting. And so at the time, I was taking this personal finance class with Karen Bonding. I don't know if that name rings a bell, but she taught this class early in the mornings on Fridays to weed people out. And I asked her, I was like, listen, I can't ask my mom how to choose between these offers, financial services and tech at the time. Help me choose. And so she she said this quote that just always stuck with me. William, if you want to break generational poverty in your family, you should go into financial services, understand how money works, understand how the economy works. It, this information, this knowledge will change your whole life. So I listened to her. Now, I be in 2020, I might have chose Big Blue because it was tech, but it doesn't matter because the offers comp wise were about the same. And the rest is history. So I started in financial services. Um, was in a management rotation program in Philadelphia uh, my first year out of college. And um, after graduating, I got my Series 7, 24, was going on the path. I think you're on, like, you know, the financial yeah. services.
0: I'm, a, I'm about to hire you. You better watch out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay.
1: so So I did all of that. And then I got through it and I was like managing this call center, of brokerage representatives. So they're working with all high net worth individuals making a million dollars or more. So I'm managing 30 people fresh out of UVA in Philly. And then they relocate me down to Charlotte, North Carolina, as you know, the second like Wall Street in the country. So I moved to Charlotte. Um, And then they started asking me to go to recruiting events. Hey, William, can you help us recruit more students like you? I'm like, what you mean? Uh, oh, you mean diversity? Oh, that's what you mean. Yeah, they didn't really have a nice way of asking me that question. <laughs> I'm so like, so they would send me on college trips like Penn State. They sent me to UPenn. They sent me to UNC and Duke. And I was like, oh my God, I love this. Like, I get to basically give advice to college students. It's what I did at UVA, like as an RA, as a career peer educator. And you get paid to do this, you travel all over how do I become a recruiter? So that's when the HR bug hit me. And then, um, of course, Vanguard didn't have a recruiter job at the time. So I was starting to network in the area in Charlotte. And then this woman by the name of um, oh, Maria Morgan, she was a head of recruiting at Wachovia Securities. So she's over all of investment banking recruiting. And she's like, William, I'd love to interview you. And then the rest is history. So from that point forward, I've been in
0: HR and the campus recruiting world ever since. Wow, what a what a road. That's great. I mean, because especially when you're in recruiting, you really know all parts of the company because you have to you have to probably talk intelligently on 15 15 minutes on every single area of the company, right? Yes. Right. And and it's got to be good because if you don't <laughs> do a good job describing it, then no one's gonna want to come work, right? And right. so what's the um So tell me, I'm gonna skip around a little bit here just because I have a few things going on in my head. So when you're out talking to this generation, okay, it's by a lot of people's opinion, so different than the generation before, right? So what do you see? I think people who are listening to this would would love to hear you tell us like, what are you seeing from today's generation? Why are they different? And how do you get through to them?
1: So this generation, in my opinion, there, there's a couple of things that makes this different. They have access to way more information. So context for the folks on this call, AOL dial-up was still a thing in my four years at UVA. Facebook was created my third year at UVA. I was in Alderman Library when University of Virginia was invited to the Facebook. And it would, it changed Everything. We didn't know at the time because we were so privileged as a university because Virginia Tech wasn't invited yet. We were the only ACC school in Duke. <laughs> but they the two schools were, I remember to this day, like when we got invited. So this information, this generation has access to way more information than we ever had. They also are commanding or demanding things of employers that we never. I would never, in my wildest dreams, demand of an employer. I just wouldn't demand certain things about the culture, the environment, and um, social justice issues. Like, think about all of the the, and some might call it entitlement, right? Like, I and again, I am older. I would say there's definitely elements of that too in this generation as well. Um, This is one of the most diverse generations there are, relative to when we came out of undergrad. But like I would say the access to information, you really can't hide anything. They are going to look under rocks. They're going to look up all sorts of information about your company. You just got to be ready for whatever the hell they may throw at you as a student asking an employer, which I think is good. It kind of keeps the organization on its toes to a certain degree. I think there is and I think this is what makes it different too like they're not loyal in the same way like if you're not um, if you're not delivering or whatever promises you made in the recruitment process they're not going to be with you long so there is this constant as a employer a constant need to always how do we do better how do we show up more how do we provide more resources but there comes a point and this is what's happening now where it's kind of, Companies are starting to like almost like a reflexive manner, like going the opposite way. It's like now it's no longer the workers dictating what the things of the workplace should be. The employers are kind of taking that power back. So I'm seeing this live in my own company. I'm seeing it live in other works that I used to work at where um, it's no longer kind of the workers' opinions. Like companies are like, no, if you don't want to do this, there's a highway. See ya. It's just a different attitude, which is different from a few years ago, I'll be honest with you.
0: So, so let me ask you, imagine I'm setting up, I'm starting a new company, right? And uh, let's call it uh, ABC Incorporated. And I need to go and hire a boatload of, let's say either college, recent college graduates, or maybe even someone who's like graduated and been working for a little bit. What are the buzzwords that they wanna hear that are going to get them interested? What are they looking for?
1: So believe it or not, from a data perspective, compensation is number one. So this generation cares a lot about compensation, not saying that other generations didn't, but like that is the number one reason why they're going to accept or even look at. So that's one. Secondly, the other thing is flexibility. They want to work when they want to work. They don't, you know, they want to work at Not at night, leave them alone. Like they want the flexibility to work from home, wherever the hell they want to work. Flexibility, compensation are probably your top two things. Location is still important, right? Like so if you're in a city that is not in the major hubs like a New York, a San Fran, a Boston, a DC, it's really hard to recruit out of those locations. So if you got those three things going for you, you can pretty much sell whatever, right? If you're not, it will make your job a lot harder. So you can try to upsell DNI or upsell benefits, but none of that matters if you can't deliver on at least the top three. It makes it much more difficult, in my opinion.
0: And then do you see that changing? What at what point does that change? Because there's a certain point where I like we always used to laugh and say, yeah, when you're 20 years old, you worry about what everyone thinks. Okay. When you're 40 years old, you don't give a crap what anyone thinks. And when you're 60 years old, you realize no one was watching you anyway. Right. So, Correct. so like what's that, what's that inflection point do you think that they go from being a recent college grad and working to then having this change of pace or mindset where those three maybe change their order or a fourth, fifth, and sixth? idea comes in.
1: This is so hard. And the reason why it's hard. So my generation, we're called Xenios. This is the new language that they're calling mine now. We have had so much happen to us. I lived through the Great Recession. I lived through COVID. We, I mean, I'm sure for yourself, we can, this generation, the, their first major thing was COVID. Like, they, they haven't really had a lot of like, they haven't gone through much. I know that sounds crazy to say, like, absolutely a lot has happened in their generation, but like, it's very different in how we grew up. So like, I, I don't know, like, there's a level of gratitude that I have. And I know people in my generation have that some of our younger constituents just don't have because- they're used to having everything their way. Everything is fast. I can become famous on Instagram tomorrow if I just put my effort and all into it. This idea of anxiety and mental health issues. Like you just had to suck that shit up when you were in my generation. Like who gives a damn about how you feel about, what are your feelings? This is a different generation. they You need to care about their feelings <laughs> and God help you if you don't because they will go on a leave. And just for context, like, I have a quarter of my team on some kind of leave right now, leave of absence, just for mental health. Like that is different than like, think about all the shit that I just listed for my generation. We didn't take off. And again, not saying that a person shouldn't, you know, get themselves together or whatever, but that wasn't an option. That wasn't like, a we thing. We didn't even have that in our vocabulary of like, wait, wait, you can take a leave because you don't feel good. Oh, that's a thing. Yeah. Like that's yeah, that's yeah just that could something be a that
0: thing. we wouldn't do. Yeah, leave would be you could leave early from right early get your ass <laughs> back tomorrow. Or why don't you take tomorrow off? That was your leave. Okay. Like, all right, I understand everyone goes through their stuff. Why don't you take tomorrow off and then come back the next day and I don't want to hear any more about it, right? That right. So and, and
1: or and even to take it a step further, because I'm having this a little bit even now with my team. I have a pretty big team. Um and what I will share is that the generational gap is so apparent with my team now because most of the people that work in college recruiting typically are fresh out of college or you know very early in their career. So the kinds of things that they talk about and care about are so different from mine. It's just like vastly different, and I'm sure older generation would say the same about mine, right? Like, so I'm not even pretending like I was you know better. But like, I'm definitely seeing it more in a way in which I hadn't before. But here's what I'll say to your question about when is there a change? It hasn't happened yet. So this generation hasn't had that moment where it's changed. Like all of the things I'm talking about are still true. I don't know when it changes. (laughs) Like I mean, I almost feel like because we had so many things happen. I mean, again, September 11th, Great Recession. We have Barack Obama, I mean, a black president. I mean, we we had so much other stuff happen in our generation that this one just still hadn't had. Like, we remember what it was like to have a dial-up phone and then a cell phone. Like there, there's certain things that I just don't know if they've happened yet for this upcoming generation that has happened for us that has kind of monumentally changed who they are. My that's my two cents. COVID maybe their first major big thing. I'm sure people might say others, but like, I would say that's probably the biggest thing.
0: So now you're working at Target, right? That's right. And where's Target located?
1: Minneapolis.
0: And where are you living? Richmond, Virginia. Oh, so that's really telling. So yeah. how long have you been with Target for?
1: Uh, two years almost.
0: OK, cool. And what was the lead into leaving your old company to start working? Yeah.
1: So I was in financial services in the bulk of my career. So I was in investment banking then at credit card company, uh, which I will keep out for the sake of this call. But like, but yeah, great organization. Um, and then went into tech and then came into retail. Um, honestly, so before Target, I was at a company called Peloton. Uh, For those of you who may know what Peloton is, it was a fun company. Um, I was working at Microsoft at the time. And what was really cool was the Chief Diversity Officer at Peloton reached out to me on LinkedIn and was like, hey, we have this little deal with this little artist by the name of Beyonce. Do you know Beyonce? I said, the hell I do. I know who Beyonce is. What's going on? They were like, oh, well, part of the deal with Peloton with Beyonce is that by having her as an artist, she basically inked the deal where they basically have her getting the company to give money back to historically Black colleges and universities. In the, in the company, they didn't really have a lot of expertise, but working with HBCUs, this guy somehow comes up in a search string on LinkedIn, and they reach out to me. And all they had to say was Beyonce. Like, I was, I was so, right, I'm like, wait, what? That's part of the deal with this job? Yes. Like, and of course, I show my offer to like Microsoft. Oh my God, I love them. They were like, well, first of all, William, we're huge fans of Peloton. Second of all, if we were you, we would take the job as well. Like, I mean, they were so and still very supportive. So that was a very much an opportunistic move. So I would go to Peloton, and things are great for eight months. And for many of you who know the story of Peloton, unfortunately, things just kind of, Fell out from underneath of it for lots of different reasons, which I will not get on to in this call. It's a separate podcast. <laughs> Another day, a Netflix series coming soon. Um, but it was a fun company, for sure. So when I got out, keep in mind- Wait, 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 form... wait, time
0: out. Time yeah, out. Oh, there's a time, time out? out? Uh-oh, oh Go ahead, We're go ahead, ahead. This. Everyone wants to know, did you have any interaction with Beyonce? Of
1: course not.
0: Oh, she was on
1: tour, I think.
0: That's a bait and switch, if I've ever heard one. Man, I, I would have visions of that. I'm hanging out with Beyonce every day. and like, I mean, ret- yeah, dude. Like, I
1: mean, listen. So, what we did was we gave bikes, so basically, imagine gyms at Howard University. We furnished those gyms with Peloton equipment. We would give students access to the music library, the Peloton app and everything else. I mean, talk about one of the coolest experience ever. Like that will be one of those moments for me that I was like, yes, I fondly love that memory of my few eight months there. Uh, but yeah, it was a fun time. It was a fun ride. Literally.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it's great. You know, and, and you think about it, it's like, what's the story? What's the saying? Don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. Yeah. You make up some like wild. Probably untruths, but good stories about Beyonce. You say, oh yeah, I worked for Beyonce. <laughs> yeah. This is how it was. You know, we'd sing her songs all the time and work and it was, it was a great ride. And I used to, you know, go to her concerts for free. <laughs> Like you could, it could be limitless. You could be the most interesting next interview ever. So, yeah. okay. So then you wound up leaving there.
1: Well, well, well let, let's back up a little bit. So going back to that consulting analogy. So um, this is what, December, January of 2022. So uh, the news that broke that McKinsey was working with Peloton. Well, if you know anything about McKinsey, when, when they're working with a company that's under stress, there's usually like some automatic light bulb moments or red light moments, signals, if you will. there's it's like, ah, they're probably going to do a layoff. Because as soon I love people who may work at McKinsey on this call, there's no knock on you. But unfortunately, when your name is synonymous with a company that's going through bad things, it only means one thing, we're probably getting laid off. So Anyway, we didn't know. I didn't know at the time if I was getting laid off or not, but it wouldn't shock me if I did. Let's just say that. So uh, February comes around. It was our quarterly earnings. Never forget it. I get a Slack message that said, hey, William, we got a meeting. And then the head of TA at the time was like, hey, William, unfortunately, we're letting you go and your entire team go. So over 200 some people, or actually more than that, uh, 1,200. It was a lot of people it was the first major layoff of 2022. So at the time, because it was Peloton and everyone had, you know, they were famous at that point, people were like, oh my God, on LinkedIn, hey, can I help you? Like, William, is there anything you need? So I got offers from Google, Amazon, Meta, all of these tech companies. While I'm talking to them, I'm talking to a friend of mine who's at Netflix, He's like, William, you need to meet my mentor, Damu McCoy. So Damu McCoy, he's like the head of TA at Target. I was like, okay, so like, why do I need to meet this guy? I talked to this guy and I was like, oh my God, I love this dude. I mean, he's amazing. So um, he, oh my God, he courted the hell out of me, which is hilarious now looking back on it because he's no longer with Target. So that's a whole nother story. (laughs) But like, I mean, here's what was crazy. And this will help. Hopefully, help people who are looking for jobs right now. At the time, I was only laid off for a week before that chance encounter with Damo. Um, the second week after being laid off, I had an offer. Um, took a couple more weeks before the other offers came through with other tech, and I had. And this is the difference between my other decisions I had made, right? talking about Beyonce, I mean, and all of the things, right? Like, that was pure, that had nothing to do with God. I was like me, William, trying to be a fan, trying to, you know, do something nice, whatever. But like, I was like, okay, God, like, I've made a lot of mistakes, but I need to know, like, before I take any more offers, like, what direction should I do? I had no peace, and this is what's crazy. I had no peace with the Google situation. had no peace with the Amazon situation and any of the other tech companies. And again, this is no knock on any of those companies. Like, it's nothing. I have so much peace with Target. I was like, I, I was telling my wife, I was like, hey, think this is it, right? I really think this is it. And she was like, are you sure you're going to turn down Google? Are you nuts? Like, how would it look if you're going from Peloton to Google? Like, I mean, just hear that out loud. And I was like, I am telling you, I think it's Target. So I withdrew from all of those tech companies, go to Target. Within a few months, every single one of those companies laid off thousands of people. And I look back at that moment and I was like, if I go on Ego, if I go on Pride, I would have easily went to Google, like a lot of my friends did, because at that point, tech was hiring like gangbusters. Like they were hiring tons of recruiters at the time and everything else, thousands. Meta was hiring a ton of them. Like they pretty much poached the entire TA organization from Microsoft, which was crazy. Uh, or a good chunk of it. And so um, I dodged a bullet. And if I had literally listened to pride and ego, I could have totally went that way. And like a lot of my friends who did go there, some of them got laid off three times. Still don't have a job. So very fortunate, very blessed, but that target was not obvious by any stretch of the imagination. I never thought I'd be back in retail after working at Sheets as we started this conversation. I'm in retail again. Never would have imagined it, but i uh, so happy with that decision for obvious reasons for security.
0: <laughs> yeah, just like everything else in life. You don't know if it was a good good decision until way later, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's awesome. So, all right, you mentioned your wife. I want to shift it to family. Where mm-hmm. did you guys meet? And then yep. I want to hear a little about the kids. So give me that part of the story.
1: Yeah. So I met my wife at UVA. So she was the first year. I was a fourth year. Don't judge me. Um, uh, <laughs> so Freedom we met, at, we, we met at church though. We met at church. So, you know, I committed a lot. Of, let's just say I committed a lot of sins my third year. okay I got back at church, first Baptist church right in Charlottesville. So I'm sitting in the back, like the heathen and backslider I was. Um, and then this brown haired girl with light green eyes walks in with my rival fraternity. Like he's, he's not in my frat, but a different frat he walks in with this girl. I was like, yo, yeah, first of all, excuse me, God, as we're singing, like, I fly away. I was like, okay, God, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Forgive me, but who is the chick on the alfasar? Because this guy has a girlfriend and that is not his girlfriend, I know. So of course I couldn't think about anything else. I didn't know what the sermon was, couldn't tell you what the sermon was. I don't even know what we were talking about. I just remember we were singing, I fly away when she walks in. So she came in late. And I'm sitting, again, just imagine I'm sitting in the back of the church. I'm literally in the last row. She enters, she sits towards the front, couldn't take my mind off of her. So she, so service ends, a beeline over to my friend in the rival frat. It's like, hey, what's going on? How was your summer? It was like the first day back after uh, summer vacation. And uh, he tells me, well, I didn't even care. I was like, so, oh, who's this? <laughs> so, oh, my name is Ivy. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, what are you studying? Oh, foreign foreign affairs. Oh, oh, wait, what region? Oh, the middle. The rest is history. It. Right. So uh yeah. So basically that's how I met her. Uh and we've been together since my fourth year. So I mean, we're we're celebrating 10 years of marriage in May. We got married in Barbersville, in Charlottesville. Uh or technically it's Hill, but you know, the winery, we got married there. Uh, let's see. We got two kids, Kate, uh, who's three. And then John is one. Uh, so yeah, we live here in Richmond. That's my story.
0: That's awesome. Cool. So now let's wrap it up. Man, I could probably talk to you for another hour here. God, we're having a good time, but I, I don't want to kill your day. So take me through uh, the scenario where you're walking on the lawn, you pass the old room when you lived on the lawn. And now you're going by the chapel and you listen and you hear a lot of cackling going on, it's at night. And there's a meeting going on and you walk in and lo and behold, it's the imps. And they're talking and you're telling war stories like you just were with me. But then they, one of them says, give us some words of wisdom what would you say don't
1: limit yourself and and all i mean by that is i think in your first year you're always thinking about your major and assuming you have to stick with the work or career aligned to that major so i mentor some students now at uva and he was like i'm pre-law william i'm pre-law i said but before you go there Have you tried business? Have you tried anything in science? Because you were good in math and you were good in science before you got to UVA. That's part of the reason why you got here. I want you to like literally try the smorgasbord of different opportunities before you latch on to what you think you know. Because as you heard from my story, if I had if I had had that advice, I probably would have got to business a lot faster. I might have been in a com school. I mean, I remember, I remember Goldman Sachs literally escorting me from the career fair booth at my fourth year and said, "You need to talk to the Foreign Service Office." And they literally, the recruiter literally walked me to the State Department's booth. Like, had I known what I know now, like I would have never limited myself. Uh, that early on, because I assumed that I couldn't get an opportunity. And so that's probably one of the biggest things. And maybe the last one, I would say it's half fun, like, which is what imps do. But the other piece is travel. I, I think that was something that really changed me. Um, I've been blessed to travel to over almost 20 countries so far. And a lot of that is because of the work that I do. But like a lot of people don't get out of this damn country. Go see another place. Like, please open up your mind, expand your belt and chunk is how I would describe it. Get that worldview bigger. So those are the two, the three things I would share.
0: <laughs> That's great. Those are great words of wisdom. And if, uh, if I'm down on the corner and it's the morning and uh, there's a big line going on outside of Bodo's, and I decide to like look in, and there you are at the very front of the line. So I go strike up a conversation with you so I could basically cut the line. What am I going to see you order at Bodo's? There's
1: yeah, cinnamon raisin with just a plain cream cheese.
0: Wow. That's like, you see, I know I always make fun of my good friend, Ted Jeffries, but uh-huh, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he calls me like plain guy, like, because he. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with the plain bagels they're good no like it's Ted you're wrong there's a guy right here who's way cooler than you are Ted trust me William is way cooler than you'll ever be you need to
1: if you see Ted I haven't seen Ted in a couple years please tell him I said hello if you Uh, see him before I do,
0: he's a terrible guy I wouldn't (laughs) yeah and but like cinnamon raisin raisin cream cheese that's what I'm talking about all right cool and uh favorite word with the letters IMP
1: impervious that's a great one impervious I I don't know like it just stuck out to me when when I was reading your notes I was like yeah impervious sounds good
0: William my new friend holy cow I like seen your name all over the place I know we connected on social media and then we were gonna get scheduled and then something came up we couldn't I'm so glad I got you back on because man you are the real deal and so much fun to hang out with you've had such a great run of many things from living on a farm to living on the lawn to you know working for target man holy cow that's like that's a that's a lot of different stuff but thank you thank you thank you for being on
1: you're welcome thanks for having me